Welcome to thejournal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Sinead O'Carroll, and this week, what does the British government want to do about killings that happened during the Troubles? It's a very unusual day in Stormont when all parties are singing from the same hymn sheet, but a move by Boris Johnson's government actually made it happen in the last few weeks as all parties in Northern Ireland objected to a Westminster proposal for a statute of limitations on prosecutions relating to all Troubles killings carried out before the 1998 Good Friday Agreement. For example, SDLP Deputy Leader Nicola Mallon told Stormont that it was a unilateral move by the UK government to deliver a Tory party answer to a problem created by that same party and its backbench MPs. Backbenchers, she said, who have created a bogus myth that an endless parade of veterans are being dragged through the courts here to answer for their past. To explain what Johnson and his Northern Ireland secondary Brandon Lewis have suggested, how the Irish government has reacted and the impact of the proposal on victims' families, I'm joined today by Sky News senior Ireland correspondent David Blevins. Thanks so much, David, for joining us today. And just can we bring everybody back to basics? What exactly has Brandon Lewis proposed here? Well, he has proposed a statute of limitations on prosecutions prior to the 1998 Good Friday Agreement. So that effectively rules out the prosecution of any crime related to the Troubles prior to April 1998. The government says it's not a prosecutorial amnesty. And um, while that might be true in the narrow legal sense, it is how the vast majority of people see this. And was, is this a bit of a curveball or was this something that has been in the pipeline for a while? It wasn't a curveball last week, uh, but it was a curveball when we first learned about it. Um, it was leaked to the London newspapers, uh, you may recall, and mentioned in the Queen's speech back in May on the very day a Belfast coroner ruled that 10 people had been unlawfully killed when the British Army opened fire at Ballymurphy in West Belfast in 1972. So it's not just the detail, but the timing of when we learned about the proposals that has been shocking. And obviously dealing with legacy troubles, you know, this is seen in conflicts all over the world, and we're no different here in Ireland and Northern Ireland in the UK. Um, has anything like this been proposed before as, you know, different suggestions are mooted how to move on or as, as Boris Johnson said, draw a line under what has happened? Nothing as sweeping and nothing that has been done in public before. I think it's important to remember that hundreds of prisoners were released in Northern Ireland under the terms of the Good Friday Agreement. Um, and we've since learned, of course, all about secret letters of comfort and even royal pardons granted to some key Republican figures. But we've never seen this kind of attempt to move away from what is regarded as the normal course of justice. And just so we're clear, because I talked in my introduction about the focus on British soldiers, but this actually applies to everybody. So it would apply to paramilitaries like the Provisional IRA and the UVF as well. That's right. There, there's little doubt that this has been driven by the UK government's desire to honour a Tory manifesto pledge before the last election to end the prosecution of army veterans who served in Northern Ireland during the Troubles. But legally, it would have been impossible to limit that just to those former soldiers. So yes, astonishingly, it does include former paramilitaries on both sides. David, you said the aim of this can be found in the Tory manifesto, but how are Boris Johnson and Brandon Lewis proposing this? Are they making it all about the British soldiers or what exactly are they saying? They're very much playing it towards their own backbenches. Um, 
that's the audience this is aimed at. Uh, as I say, this is about honouring that Tory manifesto pledge. And there seems to have been little consideration really to how this would be received, particularly by the victims of the troubles on all sides in Northern Ireland. There have been numerous attempts to address what's described as the legacy of the troubles, but this issue continues to hang over the peace process. Yeah, what has the reaction? You mentioned Bally Murphy there from 1972, families who have been looking for decades for answers. What have, have has their reaction been? Well, they've been dismissive of the suggestion that this in some way aids reconciliation. In fact, unusually, we've also seen a unity among all of the churches in Northern Ireland pointing out the link between justice and reconciliation. So there's almost universal disgust. Um, the victims feel an amnesty reduces the value of the lives lost. Uh, and many of them have told me that their loved ones cannot rest in peace until there is justice and they feel robbed of the opportunity to pursue that. Some of them even talk about being bereaved over again by what's proposed. And I suppose until you're actually in that situation, we, we can't imagine the pain this is causing them. Yeah, a lot of MLAs during the week have talked about the re-traumatisation of people who lost family members and loved ones decades ago. And we have a clip here of Eileen McKeown, whose father, Joseph Corr, was killed in the Ballymurphy massacre. She's here speaking to the Press Association. I think all victims of no matter what was the cause of their loved ones dying, need to know the truth, they need to know what happened to their, their, their loved ones. I mean, we all bleed the same blood, so everybody needs truth and justice. Then maybe they can start living their lives. We've spent 50 years trying to prove that our loved ones was innocent. There's loads of families out there like us and they all need to know the same thing. When we talk about truth and reconciliation, is there a different approach that could be mooted or is prosecutions the way most of these families want to go? It's virtually impossible to find two families who've suffered loss with exactly the same view on this issue. That's why many felt the Stormont House Agreement that was reached back in 2014 was the best option because it would have given them a choice effectively between truth or justice. They could have chosen to pursue information recovery, truth if you like, or to continue with an attempt to achieve a prosecution. And, and it's the unilateral decision just to set that 2014 agreement to one side that is causing many people great angst here. Yeah, so that Storm and House agreement, that was meant to be what's happening, but that kind of never moved forward, did it? It was agreed between all five of the main political parties in Northern Ireland, and it was brokered between the British and Irish governments. So I think people thought we finally might be at a point where they had found some way to bridge the difference of opinion on this issue. And people, I think, have been deeply disappointed that while other agreements have been honoured, this one hasn't been honoured. And time and time again, the British government appears to have said, we can't proceed with Stormont House legacy proposals because of national security concerns. So it's that national security card they've played every time to prevent this moving forward. Yeah, we, we talked a little bit at the start and you mentioned it again, they're kind of the unified response. All the political parties in Northern Ireland are against this proposal, but for slightly different reasons. What have they all said about uh, what Boris Johnson and, and Brandon Lewis are proposing? Uh, well, you're exactly right. They are united, but for different reasons 
in their rejection of the proposals. Understandably, uh, unionists tend to be more concerned uh, about IRA victims and Republicans are more concerned about loyalist victims and the victims of state violence. But they have united in their absolute rejection of the proposals. The Northern Ireland Assembly at Stormont was recalled unusually from its summer recess to debate the issue. And they're concerned, I think, not just at the proposals, but that devolution has been sidestepped yet again by this UK government. They have effectively ignored the fact that there is a power sharing administration, just as they've done several times on Brexit issues and proceeded unilaterally. We do have a couple of clips here of the leaders of those parties, just to hear what they had to say directly. First up is DUP leader Geoffrey Donaldson. We want uh, a process on legacy that includes the opportunity for those families and for those victims that want to take that route to pursue um, justice. It's not just about truth. It's not just about information recovery. It's also about having the opportunity for individuals and families to pursue justice on behalf of their loved ones. I think in fairness to the Secretary of State, he is willing to listen to what the political parties have to say. And he made clear that the, the parties must have a role and an input into designing uh, the process that takes this forward. And next is Sinn Féin leader Mary Lou Macdonald. And it is clear that uh, the British government now has a fight on their hands. They simply won't have uh, people acquiesce or just give way or roll over to what amounts to a, a, a charter for immunity and impunity for British state forces in particular here in Ireland. The families are angry. Um, they're hurt, but they're also absolutely resolute that they and that we, along, along with them, uh, will, will call Boris Johnson and his government out on these matters and face them down. I think it's very welcome that we have uh, such a level of political consensus across the political spectrum uh, in rejecting any notion of an amnesty. Then the other kind of big player in this is obviously the Irish government. What are they saying? What's their position? The Irish government, like the British government, had brokered that Stormont House agreement, which would have given victims the choice we've spoken about. And I don't think Dublin has changed its view on that. But uh, Simon Coveney has also expressed his concern that these proposals could be a breach of Article 2 of the Human Rights Act, which really gives families an opportunity, a guarantee that there is a right to pursue an investigation into the death of their loved one if they've died in violent circumstances. So the Irish government certainly do not see this as a done deal. They believe it's still possible to row back from this position. And is there any um, policing solution to this? Like if uh, could Gardaí take jurisdiction over some of the mergers, given the cross border elements that a lot of them had? I think there's less potential for that even than there was in the past, um, not least because Brexit has changed all of the security arrangements and it will be difficult, I think, for there to be um, the sort of cooperation that we've seen in the past going forward. But I'm sure it's one of the avenues the Irish government in particular will be looking at how perhaps they can contribute to the process of helping families secure um, what I'm reluctant to describe as some kind of closure in relation to the death of their loved ones. 
We spoke about timing earlier and one of the developments just this week was in the case of Tom Oliver, a farmer who was abducted and killed by the IRA in 1991. There's a new investigation happening at the moment around it and this week the prosecutor said that they had found DNA and he said that that was a very, very significant development and they could move them closer to a prosecution. But could this Westminster proposal scupper all of that? The short answer is yes. A fresh investigation has uncovered new DNA evidence which his family hope will lead to a prosecution. But it's a really ironic twist that the news of that potential breakthrough came just 24 hours after news of this statute of limitations. So that means even if the DNA evidence identifies his killer or killers, it seems they're unlikely to be prosecuted. So again, I can't begin to imagine how painful that would be for a family after such a long period of time, feeling that they're on the cusp of a breakthrough and it being taken from them. Yeah, particularly when you hear the dates of things that were happening in the 1990s. You know, we're not talking about massively historical murders here. Um, One of the aspects of it that we've touched on is the the British soldiers and, you know, backbenchers and and Tory MPs being very, very against any uh, prosecution of a British soldier for what they were doing in Northern Ireland. Do we have any indication of the number of soldiers that we're talking about here, people who were being criminally investigated, who were up on charges um, that could, I guess, benefit from this kind of statute of limitations? At one stage, um, from memory, seven cases were being considered by the Public Prosecution Service in Northern Ireland, and four of those cases involving veterans had moved to the pre-trial stage. Uh, The case against Uh, veterans identified only as soldiers A and C who were charged with murdering former IRA man Joe McCann and against uh, a veteran known only as soldier B who was charged with murdering 15-year-old Daniel Hegarty in Derry and soldier F, uh, perhaps the most notorious case, charged with the murder of two men on Bloody Sunday, have all collapsed. So of those seven cases, I think three Uh, remain outstanding, but uh, it's difficult to see how they will now proceed if these proposals from the government proceed. Yeah, what is going on with the Soldier F case? Because that's the one that probably most people have heard about most recently. Uh, I'm somewhat limited by the fact that it is a live case, but um, that's because the families of the two men Soldier F was charged with murdering on Bloody Sunday have won a judicial review of the decision not to proceed uh, with a prosecution given questions about the admissibility of evidence. But yes, potentially, if they were to win that judicial review, if the case was to proceed, potentially it could have an impact uh, the proposed statute of limitations. Has any British soldier or police officer actually been prosecuted of their actions during the Troubles? Sinead, there have been cases when police officers have been prosecuted and when local soldiers from the former Ulster Defence Regiment have been prosecuted. But I don't recall a British soldier ever being prosecuted. I've been doing this job for 30 years and I'm sure someone will tweet us or contact us and say, I've got that wrong. Uh, Of course, many victims of IRA violence believe Angarda Siakona has questions to answer too in relation to what they knew about things going on in the past. But very much the focus is on what the British government knew about what's often described as the dirty war in Northern Ireland. 
is there a way forward here that I guess moves back towards uh, power sharing in Northern Ireland and moves back towards more cooperation between the Irish and British governments? Or can Westminster just plough on with this? Again, the short answer is I think yes, they can just fly on. This Tory government has such a majority in the Commons, they may well get their way, but I'm certain we haven't heard the last of this. I predict all sorts of legal challenges from victims' families and from the political parties here who will remain under pressure from their respective electorates to ensure something is done, even if that is something drastic, which may see one of the larger parties uh, finding themselves under pressure to pull out of the power sharing government if the, if the British government proceeds with this action. Where would that leave Northern Ireland? Would that mean no power sharing government again for a lengthy period of time? Well, uh, we're well used to political crises in Northern Ireland. It seems we have one every other day. If it's not about Brexit, then it's about uh, amnesties or potential amnesties. But unionists are under pressure, particularly from the victims of IRA violence. Republicans are under pressure from the victims of loyalist or state violence. And of course, that all comes at a time when the debate over the Brexit protocol has already seriously destabilised power sharing. So I think we, we could see a situation where Stormont is yet again on the brink and potentially facing collapse, which would trigger a snap election. And I think that would be... Um, toxic because that election campaign would be dominated by issues like Brexit, Irish unity, and how to deal with the legacy of the Troubles, whether or not there should be historical prosecutions. Yeah, I think most people will agree that an election really isn't a, a great place to start talking or to continue talking about truth and reconciliation. And you've obviously mentioned Brexit a few times today. And Dave, in most weeks in The Explainer, we end up you know, circling to Brexit at some stage, no matter what topic we discuss. But I'm wondering if these kind of unilateral moves that are Brexit related and the, the one like we're talking today that isn't Brexit related, but they happen in Westminster, are they all having an impact on the trust that people have in the decisions that are being taken there on their behalf? Uh, yes, and I think we're going to see more of that in the coming days because of proposed unilateral action on the protocol around Brexit. I think if you're on the unionist side, you feel betrayed by the trade border in the Irish Sea. If you're on the nationalist or Republican side, then you're sceptical that the government is going to honour its commitment under that protocol. Because if the sea border is wiped away, if the protocol disappears, then how does the EU protect its single market? Does it bring the prospect of a hard border on the island of Ireland back into sharp focus again. I think that would be worst case scenario for many people. But regardless of where you stand politically, it seems very few people have any trust in Boris Johnson and his government to resolve these issues in any sort of way that protects the Northern Ireland peace process. Yeah, and, and what you say there, you have to be on one side or the other in terms of the Brexit. But on this, everybody has lost somebody in the trouble. So everybody's kind of on the same side in some ways. Yes, and that's why we've seen this incredible coming together of victims, of political parties, of, of churches. And I think it was really telling that both uh, the 
leader of the Catholic Church in Ireland, the leader of the Presbyterian Church, which is the largest Protestant denomination on this island, both pointed out that there is a link between reconciliation and justice. And they were effectively saying it, although they chose their words carefully as always, that it's a bit disingenuous for the British government to say they are taking this kind of unilateral action uh, to aid reconciliation. Because if there is no justice, people would argue that the victims of violence and their families are never able to find the the sense of closure that many of them are still seeking, in some cases 50 years after the event. Yeah, and it's obviously something we'll be keeping a close eye on and we may return to on The Explainer. David, thanks so much for coming in and going through all of that with us. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to The Explainer and a huge thank you to David for joining us. This episode of The Explainer was brought to you by producers Aoife Barry and Nikki Ryan. If you want to support The Explainer, there's a few things you can do. Head to thejournal.ie forward slash contribute to become a monthly subscriber. You can also leave us a review and rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. It's a really great way to make sure other people will discover it, listen and love it too. Thank you and catch you next time.